Hey, it's Sarah, and today is Giving Tuesday, a global day of giving. And it's also the first day of ESPN's V-Week. We can all be a part of something big today by supporting cancer research, which is needed now more than ever. If you're able, give now at v.org slash donate. That's v.org slash donate. 100% of what you give goes directly to cancer research. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. My name is Dulé Hill, and my dilemma is Mad King Don. How do we get him to sign off on this transition so that the country can move forward? Ah, so um, Mad King Don. I think what you meant to say was Mad Don King. And we've been trying to figure out how to deal with an angry Don King for absolute deck. Oh, you did mean, okay, you meant Mad King Don. Uh, and getting him to sign off on this transition so the country can move forward. Uh, I am contractually prohibited from speaking directly to this problem. But what I would say uh, in lieu of a actual solution from the commission, because this is way above the commission's pay grade, is uh, that what I've done is to understand my own inability to affect the situation in any meaningful way. And by accepting and acknowledging that, I've removed the stress from myself to keep up with every single detail of what's going on because I have no control or power over how it will evolve. Now, we can all have meaningful conversations with the people around us and we can make sure that everyone is educated and we can point out when things are going wrong. We can point to signs that might affect the future of our country and our democracy. We can certainly acknowledge and 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 be sure that we don't allow this to be repeated down the road. But since I have absolutely no power over ballot counting or election calling or Supreme Court issues or anything relating to this, uh, my solution uh, on getting him to sign off is to leave it to the people in charge. And that's terrifying and stressful. But um, as I often say on this podcast, most things I worry about never happen anyway. Thank you, Tom Petty. So uh, instead of presuming that the very worst possible thing might happen, I instead am presuming that um, democracy will right itself in time. And it feels like that's the direction we're going in. And then very soon we'll be able to not, uh, not well, I wouldn't say not ever think about, but very, very rarely and much less often think about uh anyone, Don King or otherwise, uh, that might have plagued us over the last four years. I believe that was uh, contactually allowed. And I'm sorry for not actually solving your problem, but none of us can solve it except for the people in charge. So just, you know, cross your fingers and hope everything works out. The commish has spoken. My guest this week is Dulé Hill. He's an actor best known for the West Wing, Psych and Suits. Uh, he came upon the recommendation of good buddy James Rode Rodriguez, who was on the pod a, a couple weeks ago. Go back and listen to that one if you missed it. It was a lot of fun, um, and it was great to have Dulé on. We talked about how he grew up with a big extended family in New Jersey, a terrifying moment during his national television debut, and his uh, dance background in ballet and tap, and how that kind of got him into the entertainment world. Plus, um, his time on the West Wing, working with those other incredible actors, uh, diversity in Hollywood being an issue way back when, in his early 20s and still today. Uh, his chemistry with aforementioned co-star James Rode Rodriguez and what it was like to be on a cult hit like Psych. Joining the cast of Suits, uh, the Meghan Markle transition year, and, and more. It was a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoy it. That's what she said. So James Rode Rodriguez was on the pod a couple weeks ago, for those of you who are regular listeners. And when I asked who to have on, he said, Dulé Hill. And he also said at some point in the podcast, the key to any successful project is just to be in a project with Dulé Hill, and then it's certain to succeed. So to find out the secrets of those success and why exactly uh, James was so positive about the experience of working alongside him, we're bringing in the man himself. Uh, also because ever since I announced that I had never seen Psych and that I was about to embark on the adventure, the psychos have been all over the Menchies, uh, excited for me. And so now I get the other half of the Psych duo. Uh, but before we get to all that, I want to go way back uh, to New Jersey Growing up with your Jamaican parents, what did they do for a living? Uh, my father was an entrepreneur, self-employed businessman, and my mom was a teacher, well, a professor. And actually, oh, as a, as, yeah, as a professor, uh, she was a teacher of teachers. So she okay. taught early multi-childhood education. 
Okay, fantastic. So what was your childhood home like? Uh, was it curious and intellectual? Were you uh, playing sports and music? What was the vibe? Uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun, but also, you know, my family's from Jamaica, so there was definitely guardrails of strictness <laughs> of what you could do and not do. There wasn't a lot of back talk allowed and things like that. Uh, and then when, you know, my parents said to do something, we were expected to do it. If I, if you had to be told more than more than twice, then you knew there's going to be some trouble coming. <laughs> uh, there was, you know, you know, we went to sports. Both my brother and myself were into. You know, we played soccer. Also, we went to dance. My mom was also a ballet teacher at a dance school in East Orange, New Jersey, and that's when that's how I got exposed to the world of dance. And I was going there really just to be around my brother and my cousins who were going there. And then at the age of ten, a show called The Tap Dance Kid came looking for kids who could sing and dance. I auditioned and. Next thing I know, I was on Broadway. But that's like uh, dance was always a part of the world. Sports was always a part of the world. Faith was always a part of our world. Going to church on Sundays. Uh, yeah, family. Because a lot of, uh, you know, in New Jersey, my dad has like nine brothers and sisters. Whoa. All emigrated from Jamaica. It's like, not, don't, they don't all live in New Jersey, but still. Yeah. And then, uh, and then my, at the time, a lot of them did. And then my mom has four it was four of them and, and this, so it's a big family but they yeah. would all interact and see each other on the weekends all the time so it was a, a lot of family time it was great because like one side of my family was very close to the other side of my family so we were all one big family so it was, it was a great dynamic for a young kid that is yeah very lucky to have that sort of built-in social net um uh -huh. The ballet, how long were you doing actual ballet before you found that tap was more your thing or did you do them concurrently? I, I did them concurrently. I did them, uh, they were, I did tap, jazz and ballet at dance school. And I always started to lean more towards the the tap side of things, especially as I got, the older I got, and I say older, five, six, seven. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that's more of what my brother and my cousin was doing. So I was really looking to follow them. I mean, I feel like, especially around that time too, I remember growing up, there was between Gregory Hines and then of course, Savian Glover, there was this like pop culture phenomena of tap that I don't know if it's really out there right now the same way. I mean, it, it is in a different, well, not, not in terms of pop culture, but it, it's actually spread wider than during that, that season where it was really, it was, it was showing up in pop culture often. It's, it's now more spread out throughout the world. Uh, you know, Brazil, Europe, Japan, Africa. You know, there's tap dancers all over the place, uh, far and wide. They just had it's. It hasn't really gotten back to that. Yeah, that one star that ends up on the late night talk shows doing that. Exactly. I, I'm. I was reading about you doing Jerry Lewis's uh, muscular dystrophy telethon at mm. ten. And yeah. they can't get your music to work. And so yeah. he just has the orchestra play something else for you to tap to. And I'm thinking in your 30s or 40s, that would be stressful as a seasoned performer. But at 10, this is probably your first big thing on television, right? Do you yeah. even remember and can you access the emotions of like, oh, I'm just going to do this to like a song I've never heard on TV? Well, I still remember it. I still vividly remember it because uh, I just joined the Tap Dance Kid on Broadway maybe six months before that. And I'd done the show on Broadway for a little bit, understudying Savion Glover. And then I left and did the lead on the national tour. And we were on our first stop on the national tour. So I wasn't even that set in in the role, per se. And I get there and it's like, yeah, this is the number you're going to do. You're going to play the music and then you start. Okay, cool. I can do that. Mm -hmm. I can get out there and do the choreography for this song. And I do one turn, hit my pose because the music's supposed to start right then. It doesn't. So I'm like, okay, they must have not seen, they, they must just clearly have missed me doing my turn. So you know what? Here we go. Let's just do it one more time so that all the people in the band who are a little- Yeah, get that cue. Yeah, let's go. One more time. Do it again. And still nothing. I start looking back like, what's happened here? And then when <laughs> when Jerry came out, because you know, I remember the the overhead, the loudspeaker, some, the, the voice of God said, I think we have a problem, Jerry. <laughs> and then he came over and I'm like, yeah, this they're supposed to be playing my music. And he's talking to the, the band leader and he's like, no, we don't have anything. Oh. He, said, he said, what happens if I just like play some music? And then, you know, you just, you just mm. dance. I was, I remember taking, if you watch the video, I take a little step back. 
Like, I'm like, like, could I run right now? Could I make mind, it out of here? <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, sir, are you crazy? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, if you've ever about? done anything like that, it's like all the cues that you get from the music and the moment that you know the twirl comes right after this okay, and this. Exactly. Oh, man. I'm his, sweating his for you though. as a child right now, years later. <laughs> There's two things like in the like in the wings or right off camera. Uh, Harold Nicholas of the Nicholas Brothers were, was, in the tap, was in the Tap Dance Kid with me. And he had already performed. And he was in the wings watching. He and Hitting Battle were in the wings watching me. You know, so when I started to dance, I started to improv. They were there just cheering me on. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, Jule. And then another little side story I have about that moment. It was a Jerry Lewis telephone, and I didn't know. I'm 10 years old. I didn't know that you're supposed to wear a tuxedo. So, so I just brought this, like, leisure suit, you know, this little casual khaki suit. And I get there. And Emmanuel Lewis, he was there too, because actually that's where Emmanuel Lewis and I became uh, friends was from the, that moment. But he was there, he and his brother Chris, and they had on tuxedo. He had all these other dancers that were there, tap performers that had on tuxedos. And then Honey Coles came walking in. Honey Coles is, was one of the great icons of, of dance. Uh, he came walking in, and I was just sitting there in my leisure suit, and he was trying to decide whether he should wear like this sports coat or whether he should wear his tux. And I said... Well, I mean, I, I had this leisure suit because nobody told me I had to wear a tuxedo. Yeah. And he said, well, you know what? Just so you won't be the only one that's dressed casual, I'm going to throw on my, nice. on my sports coat. So you know, That's great. I, yeah, I still remember that moment. It was really, you know, he, you know, he was honey coals. He didn't. Yeah. Well, he, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't even show up for anybody in anything other than what he wanted. But he well, also then, like, made you feel better about it. That's, yeah. that's awesome. And that so, kind of stayed with me. That stayed with me throughout. Things like, moments like that stayed with me throughout my career of, thinking about somebody else and how do I get mm. beyond myself to make someone else feel welcomed and comfortable and in a place where they can perform their best. Yeah. And that's really what that moment was about. Really important. Well, mm. especially on stage shows and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, obviously from a very young age, you're a performer, but you still go on to study business finance at Seton Hall while you're acting. Was that a family decision or at, at any point would you have just said, I'm just going to go straight into, you know, Hollywood stuff and not, not go on to, to college? It's a decision I wanted. I mean, I, I, I really have always enjoyed arguing a point. I enjoy business. I enjoy contracts. I enjoy making deals. I enjoyed Monopoly growing up. <laughs> so, you know, it, you know, and then at one point in high school, there was a, like early on in high school, there's a, some test that you take. It kind of lets you know what kind of fields you may really enjoy. And I took this test and I remember lawyer, was one of the occupations. And then when I, so now you I, play one on TV. You see, and then when I thought about it, I was like, oh yeah, I, I would love to do corporate law. So that, so for myself, I really did plan to go in like dance, theater, acting was always a hobby. From a kid into my teen years, it was always a hobby for me. So when I got to Seton Hall, I was definitely planning on being, I was going to Seton Hall and my next step in my mind was going to be Seton Hall Law and I was going to be a, a corporate lawyer. That was, that was my plan. But then Savion Glover came calling and he said he had this show that he was working on that he was doing at the public theater he needed one more dancer and he said well, you know what, what you doing i said well i'm i'm in i'm here in jurors i'm just i'm going to school can't get my degree he said well come on through came on through and the next thing i knew that was our bringing noise bring the funk mm -hmm. but then the conflict of that time because as noise funk was going on i was still was pursuing acting and still trying to get my degree it didn't all, the timing of everything didn't really work. And I'll never forget, there was like one class that I had and I had a, a midterm. I had a midterm. The teacher only gave a midterm and a final. And that was it. And we had a matinee for the show. And we didn't have any understudies at the time. So I told the teacher, I said, look, I'm doing this show off Broadway called Bring a Noise, Bring the Funk. He said, what? Called what? <laughs> I said, Bring a Noise, Bring the Funk. It's, you know, it's at the theater in New York. We don't have any understudies. I can't miss the show. Can I take my midterm early? He said no. Hmm. He said he said he said no. I said, but sir, if I don't if I don't take the midterm, you only have two classes, so I'm going to fail. Yeah. Long story short, in the end, he said you have to decide whether you want to become an actor or do you want to get your college degree. Mm. Which is a you know it's an asshole thing to say. It's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had a teacher like that too. No, you can't come in a day early because of your track meet. I don't think you should be at Cornell University if you want to pursue sports. It's one or the other. I'm like, bitch. I'm exactly. a senior. Can we not with this right now? Like, exactly. I made I was, it through three and a half years. Just like I was a junior on. at the time. I was a yeah. junior. I was like, come on. Like, and I'm not asking for a favor. I'm asking you to. I'm not asking for more time. I'm yeah, you're doing the work. Yeah. Mm. You wouldn't let. You wouldn't do it. 
So in the end, that moment, I ended up having to take it incomplete. And then that moment allowed me to start to say, what do I really want to do? Mm. What do I really want to do with my life? Am I trying to get my college degree or do I want to have a career in the arts? And when I decided to have a career in the arts, so I eventually left Seton Hall and then I enrolled in acting class at William Esper Studios in New York while I was doing Bringing Noise on Broadway. And then, as they say, the rest is history. Next thing I know, I'm working with James Roday Rodriguez. That's right. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're on Sarah Spain's podcast. You see what I'm saying? The star keeps just, you know, <laughs> shooting higher and higher. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's what she said. When was Jim Henson City Kids? Ooh. Jim Henson City Kids was my senior year of high school. Yeah, my senior year of high school going into right before my freshman year of college. That was 1993, I believe. Were there Muppets? Did you get there to were work? Muppets. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were like the they were supposed to be like the next generation of Muppets. But okay. Was, obviously it was not because <laughs> yeah. it's not, here's the funny thing about we never heard about, about city adults. It never it, really it, uh, exactly yeah. there's, no, there's no spin-off. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. City kids, we came out the same year. We both were Saturday morning shows. We came out the same year as this show that we swore we're like, we were like, oh, we're gonna kill that show. Oh, that's ridiculous. Please. That show is not gonna do well at all. The other show that was our competition was a show called The Power Rangers. Oh, okay. Just a little <laughs> just a little indie like, show. <laughs> and we're looking at it, we're like, what? Like what are they doing? Like this is so stupid. Like, oh my gosh. That's they're funny. Jumping That's around these great. costumes and we have the Muppets. We're gonna be fine. We're gonna be fine. We were canceled like in I think like six weeks. And of course, Power Rangers has gone off to become. Of course, yeah. I asked in part, I worked at Jim Henson for a summer in college. I was a PR intern there. Ooh. And it was this funny balance of, they had a bunch of, by that point, other shows and, and things that had nothing to do with the Muppets. But the end of summer party was this big thing. And they had like a Kermit ice luge that like the boss was taking shots out of and then oh. you went into this little closet like homemade booth thing and you put these headphones on and it was like miss piggy and kermit talking dirty to each other like it was all this shit that i was like holy cow the muppets people are wild like because you know at that point it's just a party for the people who work there and they're just messing with all the characters but um who knew the wildest the wildest parties were going to be the muppet parties who knew yeah, you never knew. You, you never knew the Muppet parties get get freaky. Actually, the one you never of the knew the Muppet that, parties were going to get freaky, and then you yeah. never knew, I never knew that you know Power Rangers Power Rangers were going to be a hit. They did get freaky. One of the employees was secretly sleeping with the head of maintenance on the set on the on the lot, and the lot was Charlie Chaplin's old. It was it's a really cool place to work in in LA. It's right on La Cienega. It's like Charlie Chaplin's old set of different like houses, and they got so drunk that they fell asleep in the car in the lot so people came back to work the next morning and they were passed out together and that's how everyone found out that they were boning wow. anyway it was a so, memories what are the lessons that we are learning <laughs> exactly we're learning here yeah yeah it turns out you know kermit and miss piggy might be gateway drugs to bad acts you, you know might be gateway drugs, huh? that's right um okay so how old are you when you end up on the west wing very young for and and and, and you'd obviously done stuff but that's a huge role for an early in your career uh i was 23 i believe that's I believe wild yeah i'd uh I come to LA because I left North Spawn, came to LA, did a movie called She's All That. Mm-hmm. I did not work for about a year after that. And I remember everyone kept gassing me up. They were like, oh, you all like the new Brat Pack. Yeah. You like the new teeny, the teen, teeny bopper people. Yeah. Oh, you're going <laughs> to, oh, it's, it's Miramax. You're going to work, man. Oh, this next policy is, oh, my gosh, you're going to be, you're going to be having to turn things away. There was nothing. <laughs> there was nothing. Now, I'll still never forget going to the premiere of She's All That. You know, when we're going down the press line and everyone's like, how does it feel to be a part of like the new Brat Pack and putting the mic in <laughs> And in my mind, all I kept thinking was, I need a job. <laughs> like, I need a yeah. job. Like, it wasn't the like next the one. 
Yeah, yeah it's like, been a while since we actually stopped filming on this. And, it doesn't and, feel like that to you, but yeah, and, like, and like Freddie and Rachel, they, you know, they got a nice check. But my character, I didn't have a lot of television or film stuff out there, so I, I didn't really get paid that much though at all. So I'm like, uh, I need, I need a job but anyway. <laughs> so I that I, I did that didn't work for about a year, and then leading up to that summer, my agent had dropped me because I hadn't booked anything. Uh, and I never forget, I was in my in my apartment if I talked to. The agency dropped me, not my agent, but I, I, you know, she had to drop me, but it was the agency. When I was in my apartment after having a conversation with her during that time, she said, you know, you really got to book something or the agency is going to drop you. I got off the phone with her and I remember saying to myself, Dulé, you're either going to be a successful actor or you're going to spend the rest of your life trying. Mm -hmm. I just made that commitment to myself of either way, you have no control over, over necessarily whether you become a successful actor, like known and this and that and have a bona fide career. But you do have control over your commitment to it and how much you're willing to yeah. keep pressing towards your, your goal. So I made that commitment. And then a few months later, a casting director, Kevin Scott, who had auditioned me the, a year before for a project that I didn't get, had remembered me. So he searched me out when Charlie came up. And, I mean, and when the role came up, he searched me out, brought me in to read for Aaron Sorkin and Thomas Shlami. And then the next thing I know, I was on the set with Martin Sheen and Rob Lowe and Allison Janney. Wow. It really was mind-boggling. I mean, because yeah. I'll, I'll never forget, like, during that time, maybe about three weeks before I booked that role, maybe a month, I was over Freddie Prince Jr.'s house because, you know, we were very good friends then and we're still friends now. And I said, Fred, I said, Freddie, man, if I don't get a job soon, I'm either coming to live with you or I'm going back to New Jersey because I do not have any more money. I have yeah. I've built to last, like, another month or six weeks to two months, and that's, and that's about it. And then next thing I know, West Wing came along. Well, and I was just reading in um, there was an uh, an interview I did I think for Vanity Fair about the West Wing reunion recently, in support of um, a, a couple different things. Uh, but um, when we all vote, I think was what the yep. that particular reunion was for. Right. And um, you mentioned that it was tough at the time for you to have your big break kind of marred by racism in the way that people reacted to your character, in the fact that your character was added because the NAACP had complained about the ensemble not having people of color in it. You're 23. It's a huge break. Like you just said, you're walking onto a set with these incredible people. But there was some part of you still that was affected by it not feeling yeah, I mean, just I mean, look, right. Yeah, I mean... Here's the thing, and I don't know whether I don't know which came first, whether the character was always planned to be there, or whether, or whether it was in reaction to what the, you know, to, to the NAACP speaking out against it. I know uh, Aaron Sorkin says he had always, the, plan, the plan was always for that character to come, um, but either way, I appreciate all the things that all the moving pieces that went on. I, I appreciate the fact that the NAACP did speak out against it. Because, mm. I mean, yeah, it was an issue. <laughs> when, yeah. when, you see, when you see a show about the most powerful place on the planet and there's no people who look like you or even any, you know, anybody else besides, you know, white Americans, then yeah. that, that is a message that's being sent out. So, I mean, but I was, but I was appreciate, I was appreciative of being on the show. I mean, it, it's a big break. It's a chance to finally break through this television thing. I plan, I actually made a goal of getting on television, on getting a television series at the age of 15. It took me eight years to actually see that come to fruition. So yeah, I finally booked this show with Martin Sheen and Allison Jenny and Rob Lowe. And my last agent just dropped me a few months ago. <laughs> now, it's, Yeah, it's, it's a big show. moment. But you then know, to have it's that. Also, it's, also shining, it's also shining a light, but also in the midst of it, it did, I mean, I, it took oh it I can't say I can't say it took away from the experience. It's just it's just I think it was more it was a shame that that even had to be a part of the conversation. Right. I was right. glad that the conversation was there because it needs to be there and it still needs to be there today. Mm. We need to always shine a light when we see a void. But it like it would have been better to not have to if that right. just. If, that, if, it, if it was never an issue because there was enough diversity on television in the first place. Well, and it's Honestly. hard to imagine that this was 1999, almost 2000, and your character kissing a white character 
cause people to write in. Oh, yeah. 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 So it wasn't just the part about the casting, but your reaction to your character was also disheartening to you in the sense that people were still in 1999 angry about that. That part was definitely, that part was was what affected me more. I mean, uh, like the fact of, you know, the calling out of the, the lack of diversity didn't that didn't really affect me that much i mean i, I appreciated it because mm-hmm. that wasn't just something that was just reflective of that show it was reflective across the industry which is why it was so hard for people of color to find jobs and to this day that still is an issue mm-hmm. it still is a lack of diversity uh in front of the camera and behind the camera but people the reaction of people the fact that we got hate mail about a fake character <laughs> dating another fake character who was of a different race or the president's daughter. And people took it so personally. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it, it, it doesn't surprise me. Like little seeds like that back then, you know, when I saw those seeds, it doesn't surprise me when I see where we are now in the country, because it's that same thing of like, what is what we get caught up in such of the most trivial things concerning differences of people. Right. Instead of just, yeah. Well, and those letters are, you know, one of the ways that people used to vocalize that. And now it's much easier to vocalize those feelings on social media. So, as much as we think things are getting worse, a lot of those sentiments were always there. We just are exposed to them. And so, our naivete or or our sort of innocence about how terrible people are in our country uh, is maybe more in the forefront for those of us who don't experience it every day. I completely agree. Because that is so much easier to you know, send it out far and wide now. Yes, Even now, exactly. For, for example, that would be that would be West Wing getting tweeted. That would be me getting tweeted. Yeah. That would be Aaron Sorkin getting tweeted. Yeah. You know, posted on posted about on Facebook, on Instagram. It, it would be it would be that. Back then all you could do was write a letter. Right. <laughs> In some ways it was better that way. <laughs> for real, yeah, exactly. It disappeared into the ether when you when you burned it in a uh, and, in a bonfire. And, and it, it didn't contaminate the entire Right. Other people process. didn't yeah. Because we knew about it. Bear witness but, to it the same way. Audience, exactly. Yeah. Um what did you learn about government and the office of the president and you know it's obviously an alternate universe but very much based in reality and it's interesting especially i think when you devote that many years of your life to something how you become people don't think that you're actually an officer of the government but they do like look to you for comfort during times like we're in now and that's why those reunions were a huge deal to people this idyllic a place where a democracy runs and is based on doing what's right uh feels nice right now uh, <laughs> and distant uh how much did you actually feel like you knew about that or still know based on that job i mean i, I learned a lot during the process because i was able to meet and converse and in- interact with a lot of people who were like in government, they actually did the work that we were, you know, showing like we, that we were we were reflecting. They were the ones really on, in in the trenches doing it. And what I what I learned then was that the majority of people in government are people who really want to do service to the nation. They want to do, do what's right for the nation. They want to move the nation forward. There are different points of views of how to do that. But back then, especially, I felt no. I mean, we don't agree politically or even not policy wise, but I can see that you are really just wanting to do what you feel is right for the country. I don't feel that that's the case now though. And Mm -hmm. that's what's disheartening for me because back then there were other, all different people from all along the spectrum in terms of uh, the political spectrum. Yeah, And and it's like, okay. And I hear your argument and, and I don't agree with some things, but I can understand. I can understand where your point of view is coming from. It's not just so much about, disenfranchising people or hating people or not wanting to let people in per se. But now I just, it it feels such a, it's more challenging to me. I I mean, I wish a show like West Wing was out that could help, I guess, get people to dream again about what we could be or at least least see how we could be. What it looks like to be functioning and. To be functioning. And then also, also, I'm kind of just going off on tangents, but it's like, there were really brilliant people on all sides of a of an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking about in the real in the real in world. the real world. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like everyone really- could name the three branches of government before uh, being elected to serve any of them. Exactly, yeah. 
and they people like really knew it. I'm like, okay, no, you're in this because you you know this stuff. The the, the people who, for lack of better words, the dummies did not outnumber yeah. the brilliant minds. Yeah. Well, that's why I think a lot of people are going back to watch the West Wing and and to revisit what what it felt like for them in that time and what it feels like now and how it how pieces of the show now looking uh, looking at our current state uh, read and hit differently. I'm curious, you know, you left or you announced that you were leaving. Then you found out the show was wrapping shortly after. So you returned for the final episodes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what, yeah what's I mean, wrong? You're giving me the I, face like the Internet lied to me. Well, the Internet didn't lie to you, but it, it, it's funny how like things play themselves out. I when first of all, when I announced, quote unquote, that I was leaving, I'd already I was given the opportunity to do five episodes of the final season. Oh, okay. I didn't really I didn't necessarily know it was gonna definitely be the final it season. It was a conscious uncoupling, is what you're saying? <laughs> yes, for example. <laughs> Were you Gwyneth or Chris Martin in this? <laughs> <laughs> who who wanted to stay? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like here's the thing is like John Wells had called me because John Wells produced the show. And I love John. He's been a great friend over the years, and I've learned a lot from him over the years. He called me and he said, uh, you know, budgetary things are going on with the show and this and that. We don't know. This, he said, really, truly, do I think this is going to be the last season of the show? But our budgets from what our licensing fee is going down, of what, of what the studio or what the network is willing to pay for the show, from all these budget constraints and blah, blah, blah. So we're staggering people's ep- episode order. Okay, so if, so... Brad's doing this, Allison's doing this, blah, 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 right. blah, blah. And for you, we're going to have you come and do five. Now, this is still my first series, so I didn't know. So I said, oh, okay, okay, I'm doing five, okay. <laughs> so am I still getting paid for all 22? Mm. He was like, it's a hard no. yeah, no, that's <laughs> not how it works. <laughs> so, but what he did say, but what he did say he would do for me, though, he said, I know that, you know, five episodes out of 22, that's a big difference in salary and this and that. But what I will do is we'll – Film those five episodes based off of your schedule. That's good. So right. this season coming up, you can go and do other work. Pursue right. other jobs. Did you have Psych in the can or See, did you know it was coming? That's that's the key. See, uh, because John uh, like offered that up, it allowed me to go and do Psych. So I did the Psych pilot. I, I, think I did like one or two episodes of, of West Wing. Then I went and did a movie called The Guardian. And then right after the Guardian, I went and did the psych pilot. Then I came back and finished the next three episodes of the West Wing. And during, during that time, psych had got picked up. Got so it. by the time I finished my final episode of West Wing, two weeks later, I went up to Vancouver to start filming psych. But it's because he said I will do it around your schedule. Yeah. Not saying these That's articles. so great, though, to have that that that. You, you know you're on to a next project right away. Um, oh, but yeah. probably a bit of fear. One of the interesting things in talking to James about Psych was that he had been either in smaller things or ensemble cast kind of things where it wasn't up to him whether it would sink or swim. Mm-hmm. But with Psych, that was you two guys. Like there's, of course, other great characters and um, and 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 it's about the writing and the, and the fun of it. But how much pressure was it to go from West Wing where you know a lot of the weight is on the shoulders of the Martin Sheens and the Allison Jannies to now this is my project and I'm one of two that's running this show? Well, funny is because the West Wing was my first series, I didn't have any of that thought of it's not going to work. Right, which is <laughs> the opposite I, of James, who said everything else failed. And then he, I'm like, what was the difference with Psych? And he said it was just you, <laughs> that you were around. So <laughs> I was like, hey, you know, we... Yeah, we're gonna go where. Of course, we're gonna go run for seven or eight years. Like that's yeah. in my mind. Like that's You're what spoiled. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what we, that's what you do. You come and you do a TV show, and you know. So, so for me, I, I didn't have you win a bunch of Emmys and uh, SAG yeah, like, awards, and then everybody yeah. tells you you're great. <laughs> we'll we'll be we'll be at the award show. Don't worry, okay. We'll we'll be there. Now that part I got completely wrong. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because we never made it to any of the award shows, but <laughs> but I did a. Uh, but for me, I didn't. I just didn't have that. It wasn't even in my mind that we would not be picked up and that we would not go in, at least have a few seasons anyway. Yeah. My thought, my thought always was, if the network, if USA, would give us a little window to find ourselves, that we could possibly have something that w- would be brilliant and people would enjoy. Yeah. And thankfully, they really gave us that 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 leg room because on network television, they'll cut you in a heartbeat. Yeah, being on USA and not having oh. a lot of the signature shows to build off of, you had a lot of space to figure yourselves out. And to, exactly. Um, but here's the thing I will say, though. Like, I know Rodé said, just have me on the show. 
But uh, he forgot to mention a show that came after Psych called Doubt. And I doubt any of you have seen it because it came and went very quickly. <laughs> and then you all also probably are missing a little movie called Whisper. Do not remember <laughs> Whisper. I yeah, that was, not. Before, that was before Psych. That, <laughs> actually, that was the movie I was doing in Vancouver yeah. when John called me to tell me that I was only going to come back and do five episodes of The West Wing. Yeah, so interesting. Whisper, whisper was a whisper. It was a whisper. It, uh, yeah, yeah. So there are some. Uh, it said, some "Go back to TV," <laughs> <laughs> and you listened. And you listened. Go back to TV. <laughs> yeah, you were like movies, psych. And You're then not welcome here. You're not welcome here. Yeah. <laughs> That's what she said. So. What happens when you realize a couple years in or however long in that psych is that kind of cult hit that has fans called psychos that you're going to go to like a Comic-Con that people are going to notice every little detail and plot twist in the way that they do with the show like that? It was kind of a mind boggling, you know what I mean? Because uh, the West Wing had fans, but not in that same way. You know, there wasn't like the psychos are on a whole other magnificent level. <laughs> I remember when we first were going to go to the Comic-Con and they said they want to put us in one of the big halls. I think it's like Hall H or something like that. And I remember thinking, like, are these folks crazy? Like, what? Like, it's gonna be it's gonna be echo chamber in there. Like, we're on USA. We're we're just like a the, the little show over here that's having fun. Like, what are they doing? And when we came out, I was really blown away. I was taken aback by the engagement and the love because we shot in Vancouver. The show didn't air in Canada at the time, so we were just in our own little bubble up there working. And I was really blown away at how much people were engaged. And then as we had the panels, and then of course when social media started to really find its rise, I was just, just you know, pleasantly surprised at how much people knew about the show. Right. Like to this I day, think it's psychos know way more about psych than I do. Yeah, I bet they. Yeah, I bet they do. They they have a little more free time probably to keep watching it over and over while you're creating new things. But it's an interesting kind of formula those shows where like the West Wing is many awards and there are obviously fans, but they it's it's telling this broad deep intellectual story versus a show like psych or like the example I used with James was community, which is my psych. If there was such a thing as a community psycho, that would be me. Um, and I think a lot of it is the ones that have a lot of freedom to play with form. And have you had a event Nicole Brown on the show? I haven't, but I would love to Joel McHale has exchanged about 11 emails with me all promising to come on. And then he has to do the tiger King reunion special. And that really put a wrench and everything speaking of whispers, but, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we're working on okay. it, but, um, it's the same vibe, right? Like they get to do shows that are, you know, stop animation or mm -hmm. where they're singing for no reason. Like, and the way that psycho got into some of those referential episodes where they're reflecting back on other movies or shows or things like that. I think that's, it draws people in, in a way that's so different from a regular show. Yeah. I remember when we did, uh, it was, the, it was kind of like this back-to-back -back thing because i think one was either the season finale or an episode near the end of season one which was our scary sherry mm -hmm. and then we had american duos which was the top of season two and those two together i feel really let us know what we could where we, we could go with the show of mm -hmm. oh no we can do all sorts of we could pay homages to genres yeah can, so fun know, we, can, we can take one pop culture thing that's happening and turn it on its side and make and have our own fun with it and really the sky's the limit of whatever, once we got those two shows out there, it really became whatever we want to do. And I think that's what allowed people to stay engaged over the years because we were just in our own different lane than what a lot of other. Totally. Yeah. And it's just fun and joyful and, and, uh, unrestricted. You guys were obviously very good friends. James was a groomsman in your wedding and you guys reunited for the, uh, psych Two Lassie come home. Uh, one of many reunions this year. Um, from your first meeting, was it clear you would hit it off when you got together and read, um, or was it a relationship that sort of grew with the show? I think uh, from the beginning, I'm a, I feel like I'm a fairly easy dude where as long as you're not an asshole, then. Right. So far to me, you've been really difficult. Um, well, see, but, you know, you know, I mean, I, it's, it's different over Zoom. You know, yeah, I got to flip yeah. it up sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. No one can see that I'm like flipping you off. And yeah, like yeah. That. I mean, I it's can't, crazy. and it hurts, but yeah. But, you know, I mean... That's that's the whole point. I'm trying to hurt you. Yeah, yeah thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> but with James, uh, yeah. the intention was good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so when I first met him, actually, when I first met him was a chemistry read, 
because he had already had the role. And I came in and we set it up and I came in, we, inside we met and we did the scene. And, you know, of course, I'm coming from the world of Aaron Sorkin where you say the words. Mm. What's written on the paper is what you say. Roday is Roday. He's magnificently Roday, but he still is Roday. <laughs> so he, he, you know, we start this scene and this cat is like, he's, he's like on this roller coaster. He's like this little fly buzzing around. And I'm like, brother, what are you doing? Are you trying to, are you trying Sabotage? to sabotage my yeah. performance? Yeah. You got a friend you want to get into this role or something? Like, what's, what's that? But we did that. And then actually, when I was going to actually go to network, he came out to my house to, uh, I guess, to rehearse a little bit. And in that moment is when I was like, okay, this cat's a cool cat. We can really yeah, that's buy. Awesome. But really, I got to say, when it really started to gel was once we started doing the pilot. And then we both realized that we had a love of 80s music. And we just started, like, that's how we really started to bond. And over the pilot, we just cracked each other up. We both, I realized that he was coming from a humble place also, that he wanted to just come and have a good time. Oftentimes when you can work with actors, especially at that age, you know, we still were younger actors, people can come with a lot of ego mm -hmm. and or they'll, they'll be cool in one thing. And then once they, once they get to the set, now this ego comes out, but he had none of that. And uh, that really, I think allowed us to bond. It was, a, it was a mutual respect we had for each other's gifts and what yeah. we brought and, and what we brought to, uh, yeah. to the project. Um, what's it like working with actors that you don't get along with? Have you had long-term shows where there's somebody that when you see them outside the set, you're like, oh, I want to punch that person? Thankfully, no. I mean, all wow. the shows that I've been on, I mean, like uh, West Wing, Psych, Ballers, Suits, those are the four like, long-running shows, and I've enjoyed everybody that I've worked with. That's awesome. Which is a huge blessing, because yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I have the... I've never had to, and by God's grace, I will never have to. I don't know if I have that ability, because... To, to navigate that because I don't play, I, like in life I don't play those games it's like there's no yeah. reason to be rude yeah there's no reason to be rude and if you're going to just blatantly be rude to myself and to other people we're going to have a problem yeah you know, and, and, and in I, the acting world the for sure that's that's out there there's people that are insufferable yeah but I, but I think what's good also is that to inquire before either if I'm on a hiring side then inquire before I hire or if I'm getting hired inquire before I get hired. It's like, who is, right? I know that you're working with a nutcase over and there. And what are they about? Yeah, yeah. Everyone has to be on the same page before I come in because this is not, mm -hmm. thankfully, like for example, working on the West Wing, Martin Sheen set the bar for me. This is how I'd come from the teen, teen movie world and I saw how egos can run amok in, in that world. And then right on the heels of that to go work with Martin Sheen, it really showed like, okay, this is how you, you don't have to be an asshole. You actually mm -hmm. can be a very- And if anyone had a right to be, right? That's, that's setting the tone. So no one else can walk in there and try to act all chesty around Martin Sheen if he's not being that way. It's funny. I just was texting with someone yesterday who used to work with this total a-hole in our industry. And I'm like, I still don't know how you did it for so long. He's like, I'm much chiller than you. And I'm like, that's true. That's actually true. Like, I don't suffer fools very well. So I don't do well around assholes. It wouldn't work for, like, it wouldn't work for me in the long, in the, in the long term. I mean, thankfully- as time goes on, there's less of a chance of that happening because as your career grows, you start having a little bit more of a footprint. True. So it'd be one thing if it's my first show and then I'm working, I'm working with an asshole. Right. But I think any show that I do, it's like, I'm not, no, I'm, there's no, and I know that I'm standing on the right side of it. It's like, there's no reason to be an asshole. We don't need to be treating yeah. people like shit. Right. <laughs> and you set the tone now because you're one of those people that's established and a veteran. So other people are going to look to you and see how you're acting and then but you reflect to them. What I, you want to see, which on brings... fact, we, on fact we had that too, where sometimes if a director came in, especially or even an actor, a guest actor came in and tried to mm. really bring some funny energy, <laughs> we shut it down a heartbeat. If if it was a director and they had the energy for this episode, as soon as, as, soon as it was a wrap, it was like, yeah, not no. that one, not and that I, one again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't even a. Can we not have them come back? It was like they're not coming back. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> We're not doing that here. We treat everybody with love. We're having fun. We laugh. Period. Yeah. And I, and I think it's good to, I think it's good. I think oftentimes we don't, I mean, I can't say we, we don't, I try to myself anyway, I try to be a, a thermostat, not a thermometer hmm. where I try to affect, affect the environment that I enter into, not be affected by the environment that I'm entering into. We can be reactors mm -hmm. or, you know, we can be, you know, I don't know what the word is, but we can right. be someone who actually changes something. So I, whenever I walk into a room, I try to 
bring good energy and then let that be the what yeah. the energy is going to be. It's like if if Julie's coming around, it's going to be a good vibe because it, it's just it's just what it is. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, and that's so important to too, though. Like it's kind of wild from the outside when you watch a show for a long time. You do feel committed to it and you understand the length of it. But when you put it into years and then. For whatever reason, no matter how old I am, I'm always going to think of everything based on like four years of high school, four years of college. Like I've been with my husband for like 11 years now and I'm like, Mm -hmm. shit, how have we been together longer than all of high school and college? Like that's wild. So I think about like you guys doing shows and when you're done after an eight or nine or 10 year run, that's a really long time to spend so much time with other people. So it's all the more important that you enjoy that and that, you know, it isn't a terrible environment. Yeah. I mean, it's like, here's the thing too. I think you also have to get past, like, even as you're entering to something, not make it about you. Cause we all have our own insecurities and this and that. And if, if we, if me, you and I are working together and say one day you were in a bad mood and you start having some attitudes, right. I can start taking it personally. Right. Like I gotta, I gotta show her or I can just try to just calm the waters mm-hmm. <laughs> and over time show like, we don't need to go that way. Right. I think I cannot make it about me. Mm-hmm. It, it helps to it happens a lot in radio too we gotta do oh, two really? or three hours well we gotta do two or three hours every night so it's not like every day you're gonna show up and be like hey guys let's talk monday night football sometimes you're like i had the worst day i need you to pick me up today uh so it's good it's it it, it it's good when you have those people around you um funny you say, say, you say the thing about uh high school and college that's what i say about the west wing in sight because it was mm-hmm. it was uh, seven years of west wing which is the exact time that I did high school in college because I left my junior year. Yeah. And eight years of, of psych. It's like, that's a long time. It's mm-hmm. like go, having a friend that you meet your freshman year of high school and then you all go to the same university. Yeah. Take all the same classes. <laughs> it's a relationship, basically. It You're really basically is. like work married to but somebody. They're, like, they're still family to me. It's like they're yeah. all psycho, like, like the cycles are family to me. The psych cast is family to me. The West Wing. You know, I've always called it the West Wing family because we really are. Yeah. And you grew up with them. I mean, 23. That's 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 growing up with them. So now you're on Suits. And um, I was on Suits. You were. So you're off. You're done with your your is is Suits done? I, the Suits is. Yeah. The whole show. Oh, is done. really? OK. Yes, yes, I, yes, I realized yes. that it wrapped and you missed the whole Meghan Markle era. No, I did not. I was there for her final season. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. What was that like? What a weird what an odd thing. <laughs> like, like, it's so random. I mean, look, I mean, I, well, one, I don't even try to go into conversations like that because that's a whole other. <laughs> Soon you start saying something about Meghan Markle, it's like, hold on. It's like, yeah, I'm like, hold on. Why? Because you get asked about it all the time? No, because I mean, she's a, she was the Duchess. I don't know if she still is. Yeah, there's, like, a, there's a lot there now. But like, I, just, I mean, I just think of Meghan all the Markle random like, things to have someone on your person. show be getting tons of attention because they married yeah, like, I mean, it was, um, a, a royal. It's such a weird and specific thing. It was... I mean, it, I guess for, really probably for more the rest of the cast, it probably was more weird because they worked with her for a long period of time. Right. And then the season that I joined the cast, we were on the set together, but we didn't have scenes together. Uh, and, we, and we have mutual friends. So like we spoke and this and that, but yeah, she was, she was nice. She was cool. I had a, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like anybody else. You know, she just had a. That's good though. If she was like anybody else, that's just, that's just, I, I think it'd be so weird. To, it's like a lot of things go viral now and attention is different now than it ever was before because it's so splintered right back in the day. People always use the little house on the prairie example, but like we all just watched the same like five shows yeah. and talked about mm-hmm. the same five people. And now so many disparate places that people are giving their time and attention and, and interest. But that was one of those sort of, wild things where someone becomes the focus of every us weekly and every whatever, which is crazy. Um, so suits is done. I didn't realize that. So, um, are you in search of your next high school slash college experience? Uh, I actually, am. I, I am. I don't know. Here's the thing. I don't know if I would, I mean, yeah, that's, that's not true. I, mean, I probably would do another show for seven years, eight years, but I'm also cool with doing a show for three years or four years. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know, just, I like, I like being able to, I love the idea of doing a long running show, but I also love the idea of changing characters and being right. able to keep challenging myself. Because once you do a long show, it gets to a point where you can really just do it with your eyes closed. I can. Mm. It's like even like Psych now. If we go and do it, if we're blessed to do another Psych movie, as soon as Rodé and I get together, and it's like we're right back into the characters. Yeah. It's not like we have to go do this whole. I got to figure out what these moments mean for Gus and this and that. You played Gus for 
<laughs> a long time. You know, you know him well. He started in 2006. It's like, if you don't know Gus by now, brother, <laughs> but, uh, I will, I'm looking to see what is next, though. What the next? Yeah, I think what's next is probably a tap dancing show with you and your son, based on your social media. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're 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 like already getting him ready for his own version of the telethon. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I, he's so much joy. We have a wonderful time, and it's, it's funny because he actually gets me to dance more now because he'll be like, you know, garage. He want to go to the garage, mm-hmm. and he'll go. Th- I have like this Murphy floor, I call it, where mm-hmm. the dance floor is up. Like, it's fastened, fastened against the wall. Yeah. And I, I pull the car out and then I bring it down. Yeah. So he'll want me to bring it down and he'll like, tap shoes, tap shoes. Yeah. And once I have on the tap shoes, then I'm going to start dancing. So. So cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see what the next opportunities are. I do have a movie coming out. I don't know when it's coming out, but it's called Lockdown. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, a Doug Lyman film that myself and my wife, Jasmine Simon, were blessed to be a part of. Oh, fun. I, yeah. Uh, and Hathaway, Chiwetel, Oja Four. Uh, Ben Stiller, Stephen Merchant. Nice fun, cast. You know, yeah, fun, yeah, fun cast. And we had a, you know, had a chance to play a, a role in there. So we'll, we'll see what we'll we'll comes next. Keep an eye out for it. Yeah. Keep, uh, you know, this um, game is always a hustle. This is like, we're like a traveling circus. That's this true. thing called real business. Every day you're hustling. <laughs> that's the job. Before I let you go, there's one thing you have to do. It's the thing that everybody gets, but nobody expects. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition number one. What's your desert island album? You can only have one. Uh, Uprising by Bob Marley. Nice. That's a good one for for an island. Uh, number two, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Humbleness and commitment. Ooh, those are good ones. Oh, three. I, I, actually, humbleness, commitment, and faith. Number three, what would you consider your biggest failure? My biggest failure? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> uh, let me see. Let me see. My no, biggest... no. What were you going to say? I, I was going to say my first marriage. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. The way you laughed, there was something in the tone. I was like, I bet he's going to say his first marriage. <laughs> uh, you know, all things work together for the good. You know what yes, I'm saying? Yes, that qualifies. <laughs> that, that absolutely qualifies. Um, Number four, have you ever been in a fist fight? Uh, once. Yeah, once. That's good. Yeah. I, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Um, number five, if you could switch lives with anyone for one day, who would it be? Anyone for one day? Jeff Bezos. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and that one day, I would take so much of his dough and spread it out in so <laughs> in the world. I like that answer. I'm like, yeah, give this here. Like, you know, how much would it cost to uh, take care of homelessness in, in – Yeah. In, just, let's start small. Let's start in America. Let's just start What a small. wonderful feeling that would be. I would just write the check. It's gone. And by the time he came back, he would lose his mind. <laughs> <laughs> by the time he came back, he would have made it all back. In he would the have been, hour, a, a, that, in the exactly. hour that you were that you were gone, <laughs> he wouldn't even know what happened to him. Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't notice. Unfortunately, but people would really just love him so much more. They'd be like, wow, exactly. Yeah, it'd be, Thank yeah. You. We need to do like a, a Jeff Bezos, uh, you know, Christmas story, where he yeah. meets, you know, the ghosts of future and past and everything, and he becomes, but you know, the most beloved like, American. And this is like, uh, it's, it's a tangent. But I don't understand, like, like some of the issues I see, especially during this time, this COVID time that we're in. Why? Uh, why is there people struggling the way that they mm-hmm. are? There is enough wealth within this country alone that if yeah, but our country, some of them, we are, we are, we have been for some time, and we continue to be going the wrong direction. Where the most rich among us, CEOs, did not used to make what they made proportionate to the employees that worked for them, and we've never put a halt on it. And the train is running off the tracks, and the diff- the the way to make a difference now feels so drastic to people, even though had we done things right long ago, we never would have gotten here. See, I'm not even talking about even like legislatively, I'm talking just about what's going on inside of us where, yeah. where someone can have all of this money and not say, you know what? I don't need 30 of this building. Right now, let me release 30 of this building, right. billions to t- 2 billion of it, 3 billion, 10 billion. Mm-hmm. Collectively, let's do that to really make sure that people are not going hungry. People are, can't, you know, let's cover all the rents over here. Yeah. For the next six months. Let's do, let's do it. Why not? You ha- there's so much wealth in- yep. This we country. have 
We Yeah, especially now, like, holiday season, and you see, like, all the shit that you can buy, and you're like, why do we need that? Can't we do something else with whatever you spent to make that shitty thing that no one needs? Like, like, what, like yeah, it's that's what's heartbreaking to me, is, is during this time, I'm realizing the our, the our lack of character. And I think that's mm-hmm. been the most heartbreaking thing for me of what's happening in our country right now, is right. where I'm realizing is, we as a nation, our character is off right now. Because we somehow somewhere along the way we stop thinking about our neighbor. We stop thinking about how, mm-hmm. how can we support each other. How can we lift each other up? If I let me let me take a, be inconvenienced a little bit so that you can be okay. It's a very weird thing where we are more connected than ever to the world because of technology, but we are much less connected to the people right next to us. And because of that, we then create this distance in space where we don't reach out to them to help, and we also don't reach out to them for help. And so everybody feels alone. And then you don't see other human beings the same way you used to, where we're all in this together kind of vibes, which is a uh, is a big issue and is a big part of the all the other issues that we're having now are are and a lot maybe maybe these, uh, these extremely wealthy people, these ex- like these extreme billionaires, the Bezoses. Yeah, maybe they are doing stuff that just aren't isn't really out there. Oh, I'm sure they're doing a lot, but there's yeah, they could do more, and we could hear about it more, yeah, and like, then it could trickle down to other people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Get out my mind, Sarah. Get out my mind. <laughs> we should do it. Let's start with our billions. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, number six. What's the most embarrassed you've ever been? The most embarrassed I've ever been? Oh, I don't even know what that would be. Not any. The most embarrassed. <laughs> I love how most- people are always stumped. Like, I've never been embarrassed. I'm fully. Yeah, like, I'm like the- I'm I a full like, realized human who's secure with myself at all times. <laughs> I'm trying to think, what did I, I? Maybe I just try to like knock it out the side of my head, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, You've moved on. It's a, it's a way to get through life. Usually people's do revert back to something in childhood involving, uh, you know, like farting or peeing their pants, like, or, or tripping. That's usually what, what most stays with people for life. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't have, I don't really. Wow. Yeah, I don't really have something. I'm like, oh, title for the podcast: Dule Hill, never embarrassed. <laughs> well, I just, yeah, I'm like, yeah. I, yeah. I I respect that. I really do. I really do. But now I'm going to be trying to find a time when you were embarrassed. I'm going to search <laughs> the internet <laughs> for something <laughs> embarrassing. Um, number seven. What's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? The thing about myself that I would most like to improve. Probably to be able to like stand up for myself more concerning like uh, emotional in issues or inter- you know relation relational connection and right. I can say oh this is what I need. Okay, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, number eight, if you could be commissioner of life for a day, what one rule would you enforce that all of society would have to adhere to? Commissioner of life for a day. Mm-hmm. Wear a mask. That's what your buddy James Rode said. You see, that's why we Look get along guys, so well. Making the world a better place. Okay. Uh, number nine, what's the most scared you've ever been? The most scared I've ever been is probably, oh, <laughs> when I was about 10 years old and I did this horse ride, I was doing the tap dance kid and I was doing this here in Los Angeles and all the, a lot of the cast was doing this horse ride along this trail and I'm this little 10 year old kid and I want to do it too. Yeah. Going, I want to go. And of course this horse that I had, I'd never really been on a horse before. And my mom had said, like, I don't think, I think that's going to be too much for it. I don't think you should do it. No, mommy, I want to do it. I want to do it. So then I, I get on a horse and we're going through the trail. And then they tell me, you know, you pull to the left, the horse will go to the left. You pull to the right, the horse will go to the right. So the cliff is to the right. So I pull to the right, the horse goes to the right. I pull to the left, the horse goes to the right. It just kept walking right along the side of the cliff. And when I tell you I was so scared, I had to like take the horse to the least to the checkpoint. I still I still remember to this day. I've not been back on a horse since. Oh, 10 years old. And I have not been back on a horse. I'm 45, 35 years later. Get back on the horse. It's it's <laughs> it's it's not just a euphemism. You really you need to actually literally get back on a horse. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to say yeah. user error. I'm going to yeah. say you thought you were telling it to go left, <laughs> but you probably were like digging in your heel too to tell it to go right and the horse was very confused and potentially suicidal. 
and was considering little, ending it all. And here's like a little trivia to that too is uh, in the Tap Dance Kid is a actress by the name of Dawn Lewis who played Jaleesa on the Cosby uh, on a, a different world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dawn, you know, Dawn Lewis is Dawn Lewis. Yeah. So Dawn was like my big sister. But back then in the 80s, when we got to the checkpoint, she had to pay money so that they could take her horse and the other horse back without us being on it. Because I was like, I'm not getting back. No, I'm not. So she, Did she, she want to go back and she stayed with you? Yep. And she had to drive That's me home. Nice. Back, That's nice. <laughs> I was like, Dawn, no, I'm not going <laughs> to. So. Well, I'm going to say that's your most embarrassing moment, that you let a horse at the age of 10 beat you for life and you've never gotten back on. See? Well, well there, there, there you go. I'm going to I'm gonna I, dial in to whoever's writing that next psych movie and there will be a horseback riding scene to get you past this moment in your life. Uh, number 10, what three words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Kind. Uh, passionate. Wait for it. I would say uh, kind, <laughs> passionate, humble. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. the wait for it. You slipped that in. Uh, finally, who should I have on the show? It can be anyone from anywhere that's interesting. Uh, Yvette Nicole Brown. Yes. Yes. I do need to have her on. I've been rewatching all of Community, and I especially want to talk to her about her singing. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I was just watching the musical episode where they're singing with Sarah Bareilles. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it's a good one. Uh, do you know her personally from work stuff or just life or I just? The- well, oh. she came in. She came and did Psych, and she's a, a friend, and you know, I got a lot of love for her. Perfect. I'll be sure to drop your name. Yeah. Oh yeah. YMB. Come on, YMB. <laughs> on, uh, YMB. Thank you so much for doing this. It was really fun, um, and I'm glad I I uh, followed James's suggestion to start walk- watching Psych before this. So. You know, I uh, came into the interview a little more knowledgeable. Not about suits, though. You know what? See, not about suits. (laughs) You know, I have one thing to offer up. Here's a situation. Uh, This wasn't embarrassing. I don't know if this is my most embarrassing. Oh, okay. This was a situation. This was a situation. So I'm in this, I'm hanging out in DC, you know, hanging out with my cousin at this club, hanging out, having a good time. Me and this lady, we meet. We, I rented a limo for the night, so we were going somewhere. I forgot where we had to go. We were like going somewhere to do something and then come back, come back. So like we we're talking, this and like, hey, <laughs> I was talking before, you know, we all was like yippity yappity going back and forth and talking about like you know undressing and this and that. And she was, right. she was like, you know, you, yeah, hey, crazy, you can, you, you can, you can take off your stuff. I'm like, shit, I'm, I'm cool. I'm like, all right, you don't got to you, you don't tell me twice. This is before I was married. Everybody. Yeah. Okay. This is yes. before I was married the first uh-huh. time. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. But I, you, know, you don't got to tell me twice. Yeah. Take off all my, my clothes. I'm chilling in the limo, butt ass naked, you know. And then <laughs> the limo driver, he had to stop and get something. <laughs> I don't know. He pulled over. He was going to like, I don't know whether he was going to like get gas or something, but I wasn't paying attention to where he was, like what he yes. was doing. And he pulled the car over and he got out. And when he got out, all the lights in the car came on. <laughs> And there were people outside. It was like, oh shit! Oh, so of course I had like you know people who could see inside the car. Yeah, and you were in flagrante delecto. Yeah, so it was it was a very funny funny moment that we both laughed at very much. That is funny. I hope she reciprocated. You weren't naked by yourself at that moment. Yes, I was. Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) At that moment, yes, I was. At that particular moment, I was. Oh well. Yeah, so that's that's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. I remember that. That was like that was probably like in like. Get the get the year right. Yeah, yeah. 2000, 2000, <laughs> Think about 2000. the wedding and then go back a couple years at least, <laughs> just like in case. Two thousand, two thousand one. See, drop the five out. Yeah, the five, add the two, carry the three. Track three. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. Um. Cool. Thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. I'm glad it all worked out. That's what she said. It's time once again for South Bitch sessions, where I rant about something that bothers me and I fix it. This week, fake Christmas trees. You guys can't be serious. A plastic tree with janky branches that can be bent and folded back into shape when it comes out of the bag that you zipped it up in last January and then shoved into the corner of your garage and just unzipping it and putting it back in your living room is somehow bringing the magic and spirit of Christmas into your home. One day if I snap, it's probably going to be about this because a fake tree? Why? Because it's less expensive? 
and easier to set up and not as messy and doesn't need to be watered and doesn't need to be maintained? Lame. It's not Christmas unless I have a rash from putting the lights on the tree and my arm is covered in sap and I'm stepping on pine needles for months, well into the new year. And what about the smell? A Christmas tree should make your whole home smell like a beautiful forest. You can't go buy a pine-scented spray at Bed Bath & Body Works and spray that shit around the room and act like we think your tree is real. A real tree has a beautiful shape, but isn't quite perfectly symmetrical. None of this bullshit where every single branch has an equal branch on the other side because you folded it into place. You should put it up, you should hang the ornaments, you should water it, you should notice how different it is from different trees from years past in fun and beautiful ways. That's the fun of it. Stop being so lazy. Go to a Christmas tree farm, take a horse-drawn wagon out into a field, grab a saw, and cut down a damn real-ass tree for yourself. Have some respect for you, have some respect for your family, have some respect for trees. All right. I feel good about what we accomplished today. Fake trees are trash. You're better than that. There, I fixed it. Don't forget to go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe, rate, and review. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. Five stars, of course. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. Well, that's what she said. <laughs>